Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we try our sweet tooth with a horror classic. We also explore John Candy's work and finish up series survival. It's time for a top three turf war. So we have a big horror classic coming up. We watched Candyman, but we thought, would it be fun to sort of expand this sweet tooth, this candy theme throughout the entire episode today? So we are going to be dishing about Canadian legend John Candy and our favorite, our absolute favorite role, not not his roles necessarily, but... His films. Yeah, films or TV shows, just anything that is on his IMDb page. That's right. So if he had a two-second cameo in a film, but that film is exquisite, you can nail that film down. That's fine. That's exactly it. I don't think this was very hard for me. I've been a lifelong fan of John Candy. My wife is obsessed with John Candy. She even has a little crush on him. From the great outdoors and Aww, is very proud so about cute. saying she has a crush. And I, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, what about you? He is a legend. And like, I think the thing about his work, because I saw Planes, Trains and Automobiles for the first time fairly recently. There's this sadness to it. And like now, you know, like, you know, because he has passed he he's just such a talented talented actor and there's a lot of love and you can like see that in him and it's impossible not to like him i agree it's it would be crazy to meet somebody who was like you know who i really can't stand is john candy i i would be shocked shocked to meet that person i feel like david spade sure i would be shocked if someone said You know, the opposite. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, let's not get hating on David Spade. I I think David Spade is a lot of fun. Oh, he's like also really good. But I feel like, you know, that wise, cracky aspect to him. He's probably a bit of an asshole in real life. (laughs) Oh, that's fair. It's entirely possible. But uh, hey, Mr. Spade, don't know about you. Don't know anything about you. If you hear this podcast and you want to come on and be a guest... We won't be jerks. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, All right. So here's the deal. We are going to count down our top three turf war. If this is the first time ever visiting the podcast, our top three turf war goes like this. We've both made three selections. We have no idea what the other person selected. And we're going to go one by one by one until we nail down our perfect more than movies list at the very end. So, Ivana, why don't you kick us off with your number three? My number three I've already mentioned, and it is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, that's number three. Okay, we can talk about that later. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay. What's, how about you? What's your number three? All right, so my number three is going to be... This was really hard for me because the movie is fantastic. It is JFK, and it's an Oliver Stone film. And I, I honestly, I, I don't know what it is. It's also like, I think John Candy's last role and he plays somebody that is so smarmy and interesting compared to the rest of his filmography. But it, it basically takes a look at the investigation into the uh, murder of JFK and the assassination. Uh, To me, this film is riveting. Kevin Costner is 
the hotshot attorney trying to explain the magic bullet. And it was a big thing back in, I, I want to say it was like 91. Yeah, it was 91. 91. I'm, I'm on the IMDb right now. It's not John Candy's last film. John Candy's last film is actually Canadian Bacon. Um, Ooh. But uh, yeah, this is 91 and it, it looks good. Kevin Costner in his prime, a new and different role for, for John Candy. That sounds very enticing. It is. It's it's very political. It's one of those, uh, you know, slow burn films, but I think they knock it out of the park. So JFK is my number three on this list for some. It might be much, much higher. JFK is beloved. Um, I even bought into some of the conspiracies that were in that film and it, they did get debunked. Uh, so spoilers. OK. All right. Interesting. Number two for you, Ivana. Number two for me, I don't think is going to be on your list, but it is like one of my favorite movies of all time, and that is Home Alone. Okay, yeah. Uh, we could talk about Home Alone because Home Alone is my number two movie on my list as well. What? No. Yeah, it is. No. It is. <laughs> no, I, I know I rag a little bit on Home Alone every Christmas, uh, but... I still watch it every Christmas. I still love it. And it is, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I'm always going to remember. We're, we're at Christmas time. We're talking about past Christmases or when we were kids. And I always bring up, and I think I've brought it up on the podcast, Home Alone was the film that uh, made me ice down my, my, <laughs> my driveway. And my mom broke her wrist, and that was a hard Christmas for her. Oh, man. <laughs> Never say that movies don't, uh, you know, influence real life. I think this is. We were we were ten years old, and it was we were weird kids. Look, you know what? I I get it. I think every kid saw that movie and thought I could do that. Like, I don't. um, I don't think I understood that if you like flooded your driveway, you could have like an ice slip and slide. So I tried it. Because why wouldn't you? That's exactly it. Kids do not think about parents who are like walking with no, groceries. And like, not at all. Yeah. Uh, and why is it your number two? What What makes this movie so special to you? Well, for one thing, it's one of the only Christmas movies I really like or watch. Um, as you know, I'm not very Christmassy. And yet... This movie is something special and it gets me into the mood. It's this and it's Harold and Kumar's uh, Christmas. And that's really all I can think about on the top of my head. And and honestly, Macaulay Culkin is is amazing. He carries that movie. When you think about like the level of talent it takes for someone his age to carry a movie like that. And he is like doing some serious heavy lifting, serious heavy lifting. And he is pulling it off and and. Like, even just the fact that we had Joe Pesci in this movie, it seemed like a casting choice that was beneath Joe Pesci. But Joe Pesci elevates the whole movie to be just, like, amazing. It's So, I I don't know. Like, I, I was... It's surprising to this day. I don't even know how they made it. It's so special. It looks... Amazing. The soundtrack, ridiculous. And it's a super famous composer who did it, right? Is it Hans Zimmer? No, it's John Williams. John Williams. Yeah, yeah. like how did they do this? How did they get Joe Pesci? How did they get John Williams? 
And how was a small child able to carry a movie on his back while doing somersaults? It it's, deserves an award. It's incredible. All right. So now we have, you know what my number one is going to be. What's your number one? Uh, my number one is a TV show and it is uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, which. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm going into the depths for this. Uh, it, he was only in one episode because he was uh, part of the regular cast of SCTV, which, of course, is a bit of a. I guess a competitor to Saturday Night Live, but he does a Canadian competitor, so probably not a competitor too much in the U.S. Yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I guess I'm too Canadian for this show, <laughs> um, and and so, um, but he has a small cameo playing Juan Gavino. He's probably hosted, but I didn't count any of the self credits. Only only his like actual stuff, and you know. The reason why Saturday Night Live is number one on my list is that this show has been going since 1975. I mean, that's almost 50 years of a show. This is like unheard of. And and you know what? I'm watching it and it's great. The last few years, you know, SNL is on an upswing. They always talk about the good years, the bad years. And... I just think that the staying power of this television show, it's so mammoth. They really found a format that works and it's able to reinvent itself because it's always anchored in like the moment that it's in. But then you also have characters and and depending on the cast, the show just kind of turns into something different. And so it's for that reason that SNL is number one on my list because I think there's not quite anything quite like it. And it's really special and maybe the most big thing that John Candy has had a small part in. Maybe the one of the longest running biggest things on television he's ever been. And I would argue that some of his films have endured much longer like Home Alone and and Planes, Trains and Automobiles, which was a home run hit. And Steve Martin and John Candy are like perfect. They're just perfect together. You've got, you know, the overly friendly John Candy who is just trying to get home to his wife for thing, or sorry, who's just trying to stay on the road and Steve Martin, who's trying to get home to his wife. Um, and there is a very heartwarming relationship forming, even though they're total opposites. And by the end of... <laughs> The film, you you are so in love with these two guys. I watch it every Thanksgiving. I find that so shocking because I spent a lot of the movie hating Steve Martin. And I often don't, well, actually, I often don't like these movies where there's like two leads and the one vexes the other, um, similar to like Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation is one of those movies. There's two leads. The one guy that's the Steve Martin type character or the um, Chevy Chase type character is more like on the he's upset by everything and whatever. And then the other guy is causing all the mischief. Um, and I usually hate these movies because I usually side with the straight man character. And I'm always like, 
yeah, how does everybody else think that this person is lovable while they cause all this mischief? <laughs> that is not what happens in, in planes, trains, and automobiles. It's the opposite. John Candy just like steals your heart. And Steve Martin, I'm like, man, you are so mean, Steve Martin. Don't be so mean. There are so many, <laughs> so many lines in that movie where Steve Martin makes me laugh so hard, even though he's such a dick. When he's like, here's a fun thing. When you're telling a story, have a point. It makes it so much more enjoyable for the listener. I don't know why, but it's Steve Martin's dry, angry delivery that just like I howl laugh every time. And of course, in my opinion, the best use of the F word in the history of cinema is in that film. Because yes, we hear it back to back to back to back, but it is the best setup. For a F-bomb ever, 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 ever. Uh, because you're not really rooting for Steve Martin to get home at that point. And you just want to see what more shit is going to get piled on top of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. with Now that he's not with John Candy anymore. And wow. Just wow. Yeah, that is true. I mean, at that point, you were just like, I just want... You to have shitty everything. (laughs) But then they start coming together at the end of the... Like, Becky's favorite part in the whole film is when the car has caught on fire. And so is all of their credit cards. And everything's melted. And they're driving down the freeway in this melted car. And the police officer comes up and says... And he looks him dead in the eye, John Candy, and says... Do you think this vehicle is safe for highway driving? John Candy looks at Steve Martin, then looks back and goes, yes, yes, I do. And it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like so matter of fact. And oh my God. That was actually, that's one of my favorite scenes. Now that you mention it, that is definitely (laughs) one of my favorite scenes. Oh my God. I, I never, half of the stuff with Steve Martin, I was like too busy, like, siding with John Candy to find it funny but that scene in particular oh that was a good one oh it's so good and like at that point you know he is responsible for the car and the car lit on fire and they don't have any credit cards and John Candy has no money and and it's like okay at that point you must be thinking like how can you not think that this guy is taking you for a ride Steve Martin like that's at, at, at points that's what i feel like Steve Martin is being a jackass because i think he feels he's taking being taken for a ride at, well at i mean points. he is being taken a little bit for a ride right a little bit i mean john bit. candy's not trying to do it on purpose he just it's just circumstance. I've used all my cash. I've used my credit card is max. Like you just, you know, but, uh, (laughs) I stole your cat. Oh my God. Oh, just that's a funny scene in the beginning with the, the cab stealing. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. Anyway. Um, yes. Very 80s. Was it made in the 80s? Oh, yeah. It's an 80s film. Yeah, I mean, it's a film about class. So, of course, it was an 80s film. 1987, uh, mm-hmm. you know, directed by your favorite of all time, John Hughes. Oh, John Hughes. Uh, you know what? It's one of his few good movies. He has a few of them. <laughs> and that, for me, is is 
I watch it every Thanksgiving. I think it's fantastic. Uh, all right. So now we've got to count it down with one of the longest running series of all time in the mix. Uh, that is a, you know, I, I, I don't want to call it a cheat because you're right. IMDb. It's there. It's one there. Episode. It counts. It counts. Um, but I also, I don't know if I want to put it first. Okay. I, I'm good <laughs> with putting it, um, third. And so yeah, here, here's too. my pitch. What if we had home alone at number one, planes, trains at number two and SNL at number three? Well, but home alone is both of our number two. So what if planes, trains is number one? Cause home alone for us equally. Was number two. I mean, like the math on them, I think it could be like either or because like if you average position one and position three, you're in position two or and then we have position two and position two. For I see one. what you're saying. I see what you're saying. With so your I feel math. like maybe it's trying equal? to get logical on us. But obviously for more than movies take both <laughs> plane trains and automobiles and home alone one of them are in one and one of them are in two so i don't care yeah so, we can do so home okay alone let's first. I, I think since technically the scores if you were going mathematically alone they're now tied so what's our tiebreaker between these two movies well john williams score is uh the tiebreaker for sure that's uh, think about that how home iconic alone gets it is. the number one position yeah. then yeah i'm giving you home alone at number 1 Whoa! and I seem to also be giving you SNL at number three, <laughs> even though it's the strangest top three turf four ever. Okay, so let's count this down, shall we? At number three, SNL. Number two, planes, trains, and automobiles. And the number one movie that John Candy was a part of is Home, Home Alone. Alone. John Candy has found his way into so many great things. Uh, I, you know, can't ignore Uncle Buck, which arguably a a strange family film, but also really, really lovely. Stripes and the Blues Brothers. The guy is great. Oh, what about Vacation? Where he shows up at the end of Vacation and he's like, oh, park's closed. Moose should have told you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. I, well, uh, I mean, I hate vacation, so I'm not going to get too into that one. Sure. But sp- Or Spaceballs, which is one of my favorites, oh, but you did not. Yes. That's not for you. Well, his name is Barf in Spaceballs. Like, what a great yeah. <laughs> name for a character. It's like, you're reading a script and you're like, who am I going for? Oh, you're going to be Barf. Great. Great. <laughs> um, the Great Outdoors is probably another one of mine. Um, we watch it. Probably every summer when we're up at a camp or we're up at a cottage, rainy day. I really movie. need to see that one. You've never seen it. Oh, it's it's lovely. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lovely one. But then he's got a lot of appearances in some stinkers. You know, people aren't gonna forget about Wagons East, which might have also been like near the end there. Well, he he was in Cool Runnings. That was near the end. And his last film, which I've never seen, but I really need to, is uh, Canadian Bacon. I hear it's great. Michael Moore directed. Yeah, it is a satire about John Candy, an American who hears the news that Canada is trying to invade and he becomes the most like patriotic American ever. And he decides that they're going to 
get a ragtag group and invade Canada. And when he gets over there, it's, <laughs> oh my God, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Did you know that he has a small little bit part in uh, a voice role in Rookie of the Year? Yeah, he, well, it's, it, so it is a voice. He plays an announcer and it does cut to him from time to time in Rookie of the Year, but it's so small, like just a little bit part. So Jay, I, I kind of was like pleasantly surprised this week when we were texting and you were like, oh, I, I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm going to cut back on the sweet stuff. And mostly, I'm not going to lie to you, because it fits in with the theme of this week's oh, episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. How, how's it going? How does it feel eating healthy food? Uh, first week was terrible. Like it was genuinely maybe like I was so upset with myself for this decision. Like, I, oh no, I, I just, it is hard. It's so hard it, in the beginning. It was not tasty. I'm eating a lot of vegetables and it was just like, I miss my sugary wings and my crappy high cholesterol burgers and all that. But you know, just like exercise as you know i hate exercise but it's something you gotta do you gotta do it if you want to keep living you gotta keep your heart going so uh yeah so the first thing i did was i cut out sugar in my coffee and for the first two days it was like it was hard it was like gross black coffee was gross yeah like to get to black coffee because i guess you were just having sugar in your coffee that's right towards the end right yeah so i i was the opposite when i had made a similar switch I, the first thing I cut for my coffee was sugar, but then I had cream in my coffee. Oh, I mean, and that, that's still pretty sweet. Yeah, it is. Cream is so sweet. And, and I remember at that point we were like, it was the first time I did, we'd just watched the movie fat, sick, and nearly dead. Um, and we were like super motivated and we went on the website and he like, there's a little eating program where you kind of take a break from protein, um, and you really just focus on fruits, vegetables, really that's it for, uh, you know, a very short period of time. There's all juicing diets, but that's not for me because I, I like to eat. Yeah. So, but they have one where like you juice and you eat, um, you just eat mostly just vegetables. And it, I remember, and you're not supposed to have coffee and we did this and the first time we did it. I didn't have coffee, but it was like the worst week of my life, like the worst week of my life. By Thursday, I was having green tea and I was like, I don't care. I need some caffeine. And then this and then a few months later, we want to do it again. But I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this time giving up my coffee. And that's when I had to learn how to drink black coffee, which is hard at first, because at first it's just so shockingly. It's just gross black. water. It's just gross water. Yeah, like it's just this like dark brown, dark water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and the like texture is off, but you get used to it. It gets good eventually, right? Yeah, okay. So we're on like getting at past just two weeks and we tried a couple different coffees and I found a coffee that I like, the Marley brand. And uh, we're we went from a medium to now a medium dark. The medium dark is actually oh. pretty tasty. Uh, I don't like the smell of it when I'm like making the coffee, like when I'm taking the grounds out and popping the lid on the grounds. I'm like, oh, this is so strong and nasty. But um, 
but tastes pretty good. There's like some cocoa like hints in there. And I'm like, oh yeah, nice. that's kind of nice. And then, um, then water all day. And then, cause I would have drank a lot of pop, uh, a lot of squirting into water to make it like Kool-Aid or something. Uh, you know, I didn't know how, how much you were drinking like flavored water, flavored water, like all the time. So now it's just down to, you know, back to the basics. I got black, co- one cup of black coffee in the morning, water throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, we found, this is probably the most boring conversation for our listeners ever. I found a Bengal spice, cinnamon, ginger, all these like nice notes, herbal tea. And I have that black after dinner. And it's like, my version of dessert. And I got to say, I love it's it. It's fantastic. Uh, I've got it right here as really delicious and really nice. The only sugars I'm getting right now are really fruit. And if I look at like a cracker or something, I'm like, okay, there's a gram of sugar for 10 of these. Yeah. I'll eat five. And then I can still do what I want to do. Whatever. So last night I went out for wings for the first time. I was at a bar. It was nice. And I just made sure that I didn't have any sugar during the day. Made sure that all the stuff I had at home was like pretty good for me. And then I had a nice night of cheating on, you know, normally at a wings night, I go like two, three pounds of wings, but all this healthy eating, like the portion control is really key. So, you know, just a uh, like eight wings and that was it. So it was, yeah, it's good. It's it's actually shocking how you don't realize how much your portions will grow over time until you take a step back and you kind of try. Oh, wait, let me try something a little bit more healthy. And then you're like, wait a minute. The portions I was eating before were not normal people. portions. They're not normal people portions. And, and the one thing that because now I'm looking for cholesterol and I'm looking for carbs and I'm looking for uh Sugar and just, uh, you know, on the back. And I, I feel so ridiculous. I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm an old man at this point. And I saw like one serving of this is five, like five crackers. And I'm like, oh no. So like two grams of sugar is in every five crackers. I must've had 30 of these crackers. Like before I started looking at this label and I'm like, that's where it all came from. All these splurges having more than what like normal human beings eat well i mean to be fair i feel like the servings on food labels especially if they're like not amazing foods are they like purposely make the servings unreasonably small unreasonably small but but yeah like you're you're right like once you kind of start seeing it you kind of can't unsee it and it can be hard. Like healthy eating is kind of shitty sometimes, but then eventually you kind of also grow to like it. So like, for example, like, today I had some goulash that we made at home, ooh. but it was only a ladle worth. So it's like, okay, the ladle is the amount. There's no double dipping the ladle. So the ladle is it. And then I had like a pear on the side. You were eating... I don't think I could eat one ladle of soup. Like one soup ladle. Is that a is it. Two to three ladle. Two to three ladle minimum. One ladle. All water. One ladle. That's <laughs> it. And this is the thing. I am like continuously hungry and I just go for another piece of like fruit 
or veggies or whatever, but it's one ladle because there's beef in there and you know, my carbs are the size of my palm and that's it. But beef isn't a carb. I mean, and as long as beef is not too, too much. Right. But this is you can like have two ladles. You should eat two ladles. Nope. I feel one like ladle. soup, two ladles, one ladle. One slice of pizza. <laughs> one slice of pizza. One. Sli- yep. no, how can anyone eat just one slice of pizza? Now, when I'm out with friends, this is totally going to go out the window. I'm, I know it. <laughs> so I just got to limit the time when I spend with friends, I guess. Series survival. Dun, dun, dun. So this is our last week of like series survival contenders for the fall season. Uh, it's pretty exciting time. We're like coming to the end of brand new TV shows premiering. How about, how are you? What do you think, Jay? Are you excited? I think I'm destroying you. Right, right, right. I, I don't think so. I think that our tie, our stalemate of wins is going to go in my favor this time. I like what you've chosen for today. It's like it was specifically chosen for me. Because you are very sweet, and you picked all animated comedies. I did. All animated comedies. I feel like it makes it harder to predict. So what are we starting with? Our first TV show that we're going to be talking about today is called Fairfax, and it is premiering on Amazon Prime on October 29th. Uh, We are recording this episode on October 20th. Um, and, uh, it's basically about a family, um, a dad, a mom and a teenage boy from like middle America and they move to LA and, uh, the boy is now has a new group of friends and it's like the culture shock of going from like Midwest to LA urban, uh, and it's funny. And it's kind of great, I think. It looks really good to me. I have never felt more like an old man watching this. I, I genuinely was like, wow, I I do not identify at all with the kids in this show. And I mean, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's not a good thing because the kids in this show are way smarter and more aware than I was at that age. Um, but I don't know about this show. Like, I think... It's going for an audience who already understands it, but I don't know if that audience is on Prime Video. I think their parents are, and I don't know if their parents are going to watch. So I think that's the thing, though, right? Like, the a parent has a Prime Video account, but the kid is watching all the different streamers. They'll go on any streamer. It's not like there's any reason for any younger audience... To stay away. I I actually don't think that this is really even hitting a younger audience. I think that this show is trying to go after maybe like 21 and up. Uh, Those kids who are a little bit nostalgic for growing up. And then also you've probably they're hitting for millennials who are like, oh, shit, you know, now because that's the thing right now. Millennials are getting they're no longer the young ones. That's the Gen Z's. Now the millennials are of age. So I feel like it's a show that is actually targeting millennials so that they can feel like they know what's going on in the world. But do you think it's going to get a second season? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to get a second season. Wow. Okay, I am saying no. 
which is a gamble because Ooh, it's Prime Video like and they have it. all the money in the world. But I am going to say no. I don't think this finds an audience and the premiere date's coming up and people aren't talking about it. I, I just don't see it. So I say no. Remember, animation is expensive and it takes a long time. And I don't, I just, you know, Bezos well, has more rockets on the to way build. You do animation, right? Like some animation is more expensive than other animation. Like South Park is, isn't that like crazy cheap or it's fast so that they can like have an episode turned around in like two weeks time? Absolutely. But this is not South Park animation. This is, this is, it looks like this is single cell animation, which is exciting to me uh, as an animation fan, but I don't, I don't think this is quick to turn around. Okay. So the next one we're going to talk about is something that is near and dear to your heart. And in ways, so it is mine as well. And that is Star Trek, a new Star Trek, an animated Star Trek. Who would have thought another animated Star Trek? And at first, second animated Star Trek within a year. I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is another below decks. But no, this is Prodigy, which looks like is a whole bunch of alien uh, people from Starfleet. Like all of them seem to be aliens from Starfleet. And uh, weird looking aliens. Some aliens we haven't seen yet in the Star Trek universe. And I got to say, I don't know about the show. This is a Paramount Plus show. So we know Star Trek fans are there. I don't think I'm going to watch it is what I'm saying. But I think it'll get a second season because it's Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's. An interesting looking show skewing a bit younger looking to to get some new Star Trek uh, people watching. Um, And I completely and utterly agree with you. I think that it's definitely going to get a second season, but I don't know if it's going to be very good. I'll give it a shot. I'll give any Star Trek thing a shot. But what I'll say is like even with lower decks... Which I do like. I do actually think that it's it's good. We are getting farther and farther away from what made Star Trek Star Trek. And so more far into away. Yeah. So these are like who knows what this is, you know, when you look at it. Is it ultimately the thing about Star Trek that I loved the most is the thing that makes Orville great. <laughs> Um, Orville coming back, by the way. It is the new Star Trek. It is coming back. It's coming back. Season three is going to happen. I don't have a date, but I know it's coming back. This, I think, in March or something. Fantastic. Absolutely. Very Mm -hmm. excited. I'm also very excited for this last one on the list. You want to introduce Adventure Beast? Oh, my God. Adventure Beast. (laughs) So, Adventure Beast is probably the one I'm the most excited to watch. And it's because... I think it might be doing this thing where it's half ridiculously funny um, comedy. Well, okay, 75% ridiculously funny comedy, but like 25% teach you about cool animals. That's right. In an educational kind of way. It's like, think of Kratz Creatures or Wild Kratz or one of those shows like Jack Hanna if you're Old enough to remember Jack Hanna. 
But it's, well, what's the guy that he like did all the animals in Australia and he died and now his daughter Bindi is like doing all the animal stuff? Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Absolutely. Like, so it's, it's a take on somebody who loves conservation, who loves animals, who knows a ton like David Attenborough, like level of knowing animals, but it's an animated comedy about how he's ignoring the rest of the world to save all these animals who are endangered and it doesn't necessarily go well. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like both incredible and not. And like the show has like strong adult comedy vibes, but then it like stops for a minute and he'll like look at the camera and he'll like tell you something about animals. And you're like, I had no idea. And the, and the animal facts are ridiculous. Like will regurgitate on a predator. Ridiculous. Like it, it's very funny. There is a line. Yeah, he though. mentions this bird and he's like, whenever this bird is scared, it will regurgitate as a self-defense. But then like the animation is literally like this hawk coming at this bird. <laughs> and then it like looks up a little bit and it just opens its mouth and like projectile vomits into the bird that's flying into it. And then the bird that's flying into it gets all covered in goop and then like falls down to the ground. It it's great. Fantastic. There's a line in it where where it's like, well, what what about us? And he looks at them and it's like, at this point, we're expendable. And this is the weirdest thing. I was kind of like, we are. We got 7 billion on like, I don't know, 100 tigers in the world. When it comes to saving them. I actually had that same thought. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. We're all expendable. In comparison (laughs) to saving these endangered animals, a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So... Here's my take. It's Netflix. This looks like it's going to find the audience that loved Big Mouth. Big Mouth made it season four. I say yes. Renewed. 100% agree. I think you've got that Big Mouth audience. I think they are raring for new comedy. Um, And yeah, I think definitely renewed. I think this show is going to hit hard. I'm so excited to watch it. So that's it. Uh, it comes out in two days. So it's October 20th right now. It oh, comes wow. out on October 22nd. So when you get this, days. you can watch it. We have now told you about this. Now, if it's terrible, we've only watched the trailer. So, you know. It's going to be so good. It's <laughs> going to be so good. <laughs> so that's it. That is that is this round. Our fall series survival wraps up. We won't know who wins until we start hearing about the cancellations and they start flooding in. But you will bet dollar to donuts. We will have updates for you when we get uh, when we get them in. And usually we do like three at a time. So we'll wait. We'll find out. And you will too. Uh, what we were right on. What we were wrong on. And we will crown a new champion. But more importantly, I hope you go out and find some of these hidden gems. Or maybe they're not hidden gems. Maybe they're garbage. You can reach out to us and let us know what you think. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. It's October. So that means we are looking to feel frightened and freaked out. And so we decided to dive into the Candyman lore by watching the 1992 classic. Fun fact, I watched that entire movie thinking that Gillian Anderson was playing the lead. And I learned today that I was wrong. It, in fact, was Virginia Madsen. Yeah. And the worst part, Jay. That is weird. And the whole time I was like, oh, she looks different than I remember. 
Yes. Virginia Madsen does look different from Jillian Anderson. (laughs) Oh, my God. So (laughs) Candyman is about a grad student named Helen, who is played by Virginia Madsen, who's researching urban legends for her thesis. (laughs) A plucky yet ignorant heroine, Helen likes to get into the action. She wants to hear about urban legends from the most urban of sources, and I'm trying to be a bit sarcastic here, a housing project in North Chicago. There she learns about the story of the Candyman. So Candyman is a vengeful ghost who murders anyone that says his name five times into a mirror. He's he's the ghost of an 1800s male artist and the son of a slave. They say he fell in love with and impregnated a white woman and was hunted by a mob who cut off his right hand, smeared him all over with stolen honeycomb that attracted a swarm of bees. And of course, you know, he died. He did. He did. Helen is a skeptic, though. And so she thinks that the Candyman is actually an urban legend and that there's a real-life murderer at the center of this. In fact, she thinks the residents of the housing project use the folklore to sort of deal with the trauma of the murder. While investigating in Cabrini Green, Helen is jumped by a man calling himself the fabled killer and left for dead. After filing a report with the police, Helen starts experiencing traumatic events where actual Candyman visits her in a parking lot and in her home and he starts killing people that she cares about. And why is he doing this to Helen? Seemingly in a way to frame her for the killings so they will be forever bonded as urban legends together. So Jay, what are your thoughts on this movie? Uh, Hot take, I thought the film was okay. I do not think this is a very well done stab at this film i understand what this film means to so many people and look tony todd is incredible he's fantastic oh he he's great yeah like, those were bees in his in mouth general. amazing mm-hmm. but here's my problem one not really that scary two what is this guy Is he real? Is he a ghost? What are his rules? There is, he's supposed to show up when you say his name five times, but then he can die in a fire at the end of the film. Like this is some weird, no continuity and no rules and weirdness. And he's like, now you're my bride. And he stole a child and all that. I'm like, why is all this shit happening? I think that was the biggest problem with the film. So I always thought that people thought it was a silly movie. Like it was a guilty pleasure. You know, it's not good because yeah, as you're watching it, you're like, wait a minute. Why is he mad at, he's mad at her because she thinks that a human is the killer, but he, the ghost is a killer. And for some reason, the ghost cares about getting credit. Like what? Why would you what care? What is that? Yeah. And then, yeah. And then. And that and has then nothing to, to do her. tying back into his lore of like being a slave. And, you know, there's, there was a, a really interesting, possibly sad story there that really gets ignored. There's like some problematic shit in this movie. Like, you know, in today's lens, 
first of all, the fact that our our lead is a white female, I feel like with this movie, with this villain, is just not the right choice. Um, and then she's like so like white privilege ignorant all throughout the film. Yes. And it's like, you know, she's like, I'm just going to go to the projects. And, and because I live, I grew up in a safe environment. I'll be fine. Like, yeah, absolutely. And like, there's an interesting scene with a, a police officer who helps her after she's attacked. But then that same police officer thinks that she kidnapped a child and murdered a dog. And, is like, no, like, oh, and murdered her best friend as well. Like he's, yeah. he, it's totally flipped on her. And that's one of the more interesting moments in the film where she like, oh, thank God you're here. And he's like, you shut up woman. Like it was, it, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was like, okay, well, thank God. Like now there's some realism that she is experiencing. Uh, there's a really crappy sideline about the the husband who is, cheating on her and it's so yeah and then he wants to like have her committed oh it's so and unnecessary even just the fact that the story went to there that she's like incarcerated and now committed and like well, it, so here's my thing too like people can see this man like he's like a normal person with all these things like but he can also nightmare on elm street himself freddy krueger style into the psychiatrist's office and murder this guy and then bounce. And I was like, holy shit, this is so inconsistent with what he can do. And now I have not gone on to the second and third, which I said I would, but I'm told the second is better. And I'm also told that actual lore starts getting established, which thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because there was also times where I'm like, they said Candyman five times in the mirror, but neither one of them died. That doesn't jive with the folklore of the, the film. Lore. Yeah. Right. And I always asked myself, like, I was like, okay, so now we know his past. Uh, what does that have to do with his current murdering? Oh, yeah. Like, he's so angry. Thing. And I'm like, why? What? Like, what? I mean, maybe he's angry at everyone because of, you know, the world that he grew up in. And I accept that but I think I need the movie to kind of say it. Oh yeah. Like there was some really thematic and interesting things. When she walks through the projects at Cabrini green, she walks through this hole and there's this beautiful painting as if she's walking out of the, the mouth of Candyman, who is screaming. And I was like, wow, that is a, the director got a great shot here. Like this is iconic in a way that I've never seen this film before. I bet this is, amazingly iconic to the rest of the franchise. Cause how could it not be with that said, there's a lot of generic scares. I was, I watched sinister recently for the first time and it's quoted as being one of the scariest movies of all time. Uh, scientifically like hundred people had heart monitors or whatever. So their hearts were skipping a beat more often because of fear while watching the movie, whatever the movie's good. Uh, but I couldn't believe how effective it was. And I kept on catching myself like shit. That was effective. Like the music swelling, the lighting. And I never felt that way with Candyman. I felt like 
it was almost too bright everywhere when he showed up. There were interesting things like when he went backwards through the window. I was like, that's cool. Like, neat. Why can't he do that? Why did he break the window? He's a ghost. Yeah. Too much question. Yeah. How did the fire kill him? How that's did the fire the kill him? Thing. Yeah. It makes no sense. I think that was the thing. It, there's too much of this movie that makes no sense. Um, well, let, definitely. Can we talk about how it spins off into this murder mystery about people thinking she's a murderer and we spend time with her getting together with a lawyer? And yes. Oh, my God. I was like, it's oh, my so gosh. Bad. How is this a slasher film? How how is this where we've gotten to? This is crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm excited for the new one. So next next week we're gonna be or next two weeks from now we're gonna be watching the next like the new Candyman. 2021 Candyman, and by then I will have watched two and three, so that I can maybe bridge the feelings I have. I do think the film is okay, and I do understand. It's importance in the horror genre of having Tony Todd as one of the, you know, big slasher villains it being a black man. You know, we hadn't yeah. seen that happen. Uh, and that is really important for representation. It's it just feels like they missed something. When we went into the uh Cabrini Green projects of Chicago. I thought we'd learn more about what was going on there. I thought we would learn more about characters there or something about the area that tied into its current day poverty and people living there. But no, it was just like, we're in the projects. And I was like, man, I feel like that's a cop out. You know, the movie was made in 92 and I think it's very 92. If you know totally. what I mean. Totally. There is a fertile playground. Like there's something about the Candyman that is actually very interesting. And like I think people are captivated by it. And there are pieces of this movie that are fantastic. But then there are also really frustrating chunks of bad horror like tropes. And just like, you know, if it... Ultimately, like, I always thought this movie was, like, kind of not beloved. And so since the new one came out, now obviously it's a big cult classic. I didn't realize how much people loved it from the beginning. Um, Again, like, I enjoyed watching it, but partially because I enjoyed making fun of how cheesy and dumb some of the stuff was. Yeah. Like the lawyer scene. Why was that in the movie? Why was that in the movie? Why is she even being trying to be framed as a killer. I don't get it. Why is a ghost like bargaining with this woman over one, a baby? Like I thought he was supposed to be a sympathetic villain. He's not. No, he's not. Yeah, that's the, he, he should be though, right? Absolutely should be. Absolutely should be. He should be like killing people with a righteous anger, but like that's gone wrong. And like, then you, you like both sympathize with him and understand him, but then you're like, ah, but still don't kill people. Like, you know, that's complicated and interesting and fun to lean into. Totally. I think this wanted to do so many different things and it, it, it just, I don't know for me, it was just okay. And I hate to say that. I do hate to say that. I really was looking forward to it and was really excited for this film. The other part I will say is that 
you know, this came out a year after Silence of the Lambs where butterflies were a huge thing there and bees are a huge thing here. And I'm a little bit curious if like one influenced the other. Oh, it could. It totally could. But there are some amazing practical effects in this. Like the bees seemed strange to me, you know, like that, that, that it just, it seemed like a strange lynch bob killing. Oh yeah. Like the ad, the addition of the bees was weird. And you know, what's a, a decent jump scare in the film was when she's in the bathroom before she gets attacked and she flips and, and it, the bathroom is disgusting. There's like, you know, crap written all over the world, uh, walls and smeared everywhere. And she opens the toilet to find just bees in it. I thought that was pretty good. I was like, Ooh, that, Oh, that was, that was working. What's next. Are we going to see him in the mirror? No, we like see some guy calling himself Candyman, And then we don't even like see what happens. We just see her with a black eye after or on the ground. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, are there more? Because I'm always looking for, was there more that I missed here? Like, did they, uh, did they assault, sexually assault her? Like, did something else happen here? Like, can you imagine if she was also sexually assaulted in this neighborhood? Would, would there be a higher threshold for the police? Oh, it's a white woman. Like, but it's all really glossed over and we don't really all of it is glossed over know what happened. And there was a really good way they could have played the, uh, the race card there. And I bet they do it in 2021. I mean, Jordan oh, I mean, Peele's the on 20... board, right? So yeah, Jordan Peele is one of the co-writers. So this is definitely a movie that's going to be good. I mean, uh, I think. And it's, and why is that? Why is that Ivana? Why? Cause Jordan Peele, uh, because Jordan, Jordan Peele is the Shakespeare of our day and we are lucky to live in a world with him. So join us in a couple of weeks when we watch Candyman 2021. And that's the show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please add a rating or review to your favorite podcast app if it's available. The music you heard today was from bensound.com. And if you read our show notes, You'll learn more about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects. You can find more episodes and information on our website, morethemovies.net. You can like us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. And if you want to reach us directly, you can catch us on Twitter. I'm at It's Ivana. I'm at Jester J. We'll be back again soon with a new episode, so please make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.